The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Welcome to a good football show. I am Matt Straub. We are live after round one of the NFL draft. And tonight slash today, we are bringing you our instant reactions to the first round. We would be dissecting it with some perspective from on the scene in Vegas. Some of the biggest surprises, fantasy, dynasty takeaways, plus trades, big wins when it comes to betting and more. To that end, we'll have a rotating cast of guests coming through. And throughout all of this, I'll be here with Warren Sharp, Pat Darty. For starters, guys, it's just before midnight on the East Coast. I think this is actually the latest I've ever been awake in front of a microphone. Pat, how are you holding up there uh, after that wild first round? I'm, I'm not making this up. I was just thinking, why did I forego the Red Bull? Uh, they're not yeah. paying me to say this. I brought a Red Bull in from my garage fridge to my basement fridge, planning to drink it. And I was like, well, I'm normally still up now anyway. I'm not going to drink it. And now, yeah, I, my life force, I think, was sapped by the draft. And really wishing I had that Red Bull. Warren, we, we're going to be getting your thoughts throughout the night. And you've already been posting videos to the NBC Sports Edge Twitter feed throughout the evening. I think you are actually leading the league in wardrobe changes currently. What, what was it, four? Four different different shirts and jackets so far? Is that where I, I think four. We actually did the pre-show in one that I went back to later. So it's probably four switches This, but uh, and four, four shirts too. But I had fun with it. And look, I, I hear Pat, unfortunately for me, because of my schedule, I'm usually up at this hour. So it's like my prime time. I'm drinking coffee and that's like yeah. a normal Thursday night for me, uh, any day of the weeks, any week of the year. So I'm in my sweet spot. I hope I don't <laughs> like get too excited or talk to you guys too much because I am jacked up. I've been recording videos all night. I'm excited <laughs> to talk to you guys about these players. But what I will say is this, I mean, I'm having a hard time just figuring out and remembering what the hell even happened here. I know. Yeah, because nobody knows. so many players were flying off. There were trades. There were runs on different positions. At the top of the draft, I mean, you, you're saying you've been – it's late that you're in front of this microphone. I feel like the draft ended earlier than it normally does. Like the first, like, four or five or six players off the board were just like, bam, bam, bam. Everybody was yeah. picking their guys right away, and I loved it because I, I hate it when they take up the full clock. Um, but it – caused more confusion it was just a crazy crazy draft yeah it got the pace of play memo where like into speaking like <laughs> scouting nomenclature this draft was sudden it was in and out of its breaks without losing you know any velocity just accelerating to the second level of the field and the past few drafts had really kind of started to drag on the first night and it seemed to be that there was a concerted effort from the league to you know maybe we don't need to make teams take 15 minutes when they're taking a 24 year old fcs center from uh, chattanooga uh, so yeah, it was a, a nice crisper pace. Like Warren said, it led to much greater confusion where I, I somehow missed Traylon Burks being drafted. He, I was like, because yeah. he went so early, you were yeah. not expecting him to go that early. Yeah. It was like pick 24. And I saw a tweet where Traylon Burks was talking up Ryan Tannehill. I was like, Oh my God, uh, what did I miss here? And uh, it yeah, was, was moving so back. fast, Pat, that you missed the, the young kid who had had a heart transplant stealing the show when he announced the pick for the Giants. Uh, him dapping up Kayvon Thibodeau was the highlight of my evening, guys. That was it. Was that was amazing? Yeah, he he matched Kayvon. I think he he raised the energy level. I think that kid that, is actually why the draft went. So he like raised the energy yeah. level in the whole room. The next thing they yeah. knew, the draft was over at nine forty two Eastern time. Yeah, I, I think the league may have even like called a couple timeouts to slow things down. It was moving so fast. There were a couple, we had a couple of lulls where it was like, all right, all right, let's slow down. Warren, before we bring in our first guest, any other overall impressions for you? Like any teams that really stood out? I mean, I know you said at one point the Jets seemed like the yeah. Jets were winning the first round. Like what stands out to you before we bring in our first guest? Yeah, I mean, the, the Jets truly do. If, if I had to pick, and I guess in part it's because they went back in and got that third player towards the end of the first round, um, and in part because that player was somebody who dropped so much, like Jermaine Johnson. But it was just the way in which they 
conducted themselves, in my opinion. They let the board come to them, but they were grabbing the talent where they could. And look, Sauce Gardner at four, I think he was perfect. And I thought the Jets would go defense there because remember last year's draft, Joe Douglas, he has this defensive-minded head coach in his first year, and they went nothing but offense. They had three picks in the first 34. They had four first-round picks, sorry, four picks in the first four rounds. All of them were offense. They didn't draft a defensive player for the coach's side of the ball until way back at pick uh, until the fifth round. So I knew and felt like they were going to go out defense with their first player. And then for them to get Garrett Wilson, who many were talking about for a while, was the best wide receiver in this draft class. You know, obviously that's going to be debated and we'll see what ends up happening. And then to come in there at the end and they draft Jermaine Johnson, who we some of the guys at my site were mocking him to the Jets at 10 or even at four. And they were able to get him all the way at the end of the first round. I just thought it was a masterful, masterful job by Joe Douglas. And clearly to me, they stood out. And there's a couple of other teams as well that I'm sure we'll talk about. The Eagles are another one because it's not that the Eagles won their trade when they traded uh, to get over Baltimore. But it's what Howie Roseman does where he knows everybody thinks that you're going to go after this defensive tackle and he jumps them by one spot. He's done it for three straight years, jumps that team by one spot to get the player that everyone was mocking to that team. And then he swings this trade and gets A.J. Brown as well. I mean, who would have thought that the Eagles would be leaving the first round with A.J. Brown and Jordan Davis? I mean, it's pretty wild. Yeah, getting A.J. Brown for 18 when the Cardinals got Marquise Brown for 23, it's hard to feel like that's not the biggest takeaway of the night. I mean, an absolute heist. And yep. everyone's tweeting at me, like, what about the $100 million contract there, smart guy? I'm like, you know, these teams all like roughly spend the same amount of money every year. Like if you're going to spend the money, anyway, there's a salary floor, they all get close to salary cap, maybe just spend the money on A.J. Brown. I don't know. But the Jets were one of the big takeaways, like Warren said. Everyone was rightfully – talking about the Jets, the Saints stood out to me because so, you know, first of the Saints like do the kind of like strange thing before the draft where they traded up without, you know, it being an obvious quarterback draft or an obvious quarterback situation. I know they were kind of linked to Kenny Pickett a little bit. The Saints kind of like, I guess they could take a quarterback at 49 on Friday night, but what, what the, the Saints' draft was like a big vote of confidence in Jameis Winston where they, they trade up for Chris Olave. They, in their previous trade up slot, they take an offensive tackle and Trevor Penning and just like the Saints kind of like instead of like not not rebuilding at all basically in this division Tom Brady's back but like a weak division that looked really weak before Tom Brady came back and just the Saints kind of deciding like you know what we're not going to do the rebuild we're going to just try to be one of those teams that's like reloads on the fly every year I thought it was a very very interesting uh draft from the Saints who have I think I've, I tweeted this but I think the Saints have trade had done more first round trade-ups for non quarterbacks than the rest of the NFL combined in like really? the entire league's history. I mean, I just, it's like anecdotal. I'm just joking. Like they did it for Marcus Davenport. They trade up for non quarterbacks in the first round frequently, which you know, is not like that. Cause they're making like big moves, like in the teens too, not just like in the twenties. And they're just always so aggressive well, we, and staying aggressive. We wondered, it, we wondered what they were going to be Pat uh, after Sean Payton left, right? Were they going to stay as aggressive? And obviously they were. It's fun for me when my team, start, the Atlanta Falcons, started the wide receiver run, didn't take the top guy, <laughs> and then you watch Garrett Wilson know, and Chris Matt, real quick, are, are, the, is, are the Falcons, this, this brain trust is trying to get fired, Like whereas like Thomas Dimitrov hung on forever. It seems like the yeah. new brain trust wants to be in and out of there like, kind of quick. Because uh, yeah, like, you, you have like, two of the worst lines on both sides of the ball in the NFL. You, know, you take the tight end one year, and then you take the six-foot-five receiver that might not separate. I, I don't know. Yeah. No, I'm thrilled. I'm thrilled. It's, it's, been, it's been a great night. Great night. Uh, listen, let's bring in our first guest, guys. He was actually there in Vegas. It's Lawrence Jackson. Uh, Lawrence, how are you? Thanks for joining. What's good, man? I can't complain. Living life, baby. So you're you're away from the, the mayhem now, but you were at the draft watch party. What was the scene like there? Yeah, man, it was definitely, a, you know, it was a fun time. It was a rowdy time. You saw fans from everywhere. Except the Jaguars, I saw no Jaguars jerseys out there. Come on, come on, man! You know, we're nine minutes in the show, and the Jags already caught their first stray. I ain't um, see one Jags T-shirt, sweater, earring, nothing. Um, <laughs> everybody else had fans, uh, 
I met I met some interesting fans. I met a Green Bay fan who still thought Devontae Adams was still on the Packers. So, you know, bless his little heart. You know, so uh, you know, just a just a good vibe as soon as uh you know Roger Goodell let off that first pick, the whole crowd actually went wild because it was like, All right, we here, we we started and now we finally in this draft. So um, overall, you know, it was it was a good scene, man. Real good times. What was the pick, Lawrence, that surprised the crowd and you the most, or the trade? Maybe what was the singular move that I that drew the most reaction from the crowd, and you kind of were either excited or shocked by? Not too shocked, but there was a lot of excitement at number two when Aiden Hutchinson went to the Lions. Uh, I, I was actually with Lions fans when that pick happened, and um, even even the play, uh, even the fans besides the Lions fans, uh, the people were like, "Oh, because he he kind of you know." There's a there's a mixed bag on him when it comes to you know fans talking about him like GMs know what they want but the fans are all over the place so when Aiden Hutchinson went at number two I felt like that was a very big reaction followed only by Derek Stingley at number three when we all thought Sauce Gardner would probably be the first corner uh, off the board but Stingley showed that he could be healthy at his pro day and. Uh, Houston Texans was willing to bet on that. So I would actually say that was more of a shock. The reaction was just louder for Aiden Hutchinson. But I think the biggest shock was Darius Stingley at number three to the Houston Texans. Now, real quick, real quick follow-up. Sorry, Pat. I just am wondering, were you back in your room? I know this video, we're starting this right after the draft ended. Were you there when the Patriots took Cole Strange? <laughs> I was definitely back in the room because I, I and I would have loved to see uh, people say, "Huh." I would have loved to see people say that outside, man. But uh, that that's something I definitely. But but I didn't expect it, so you know, you know, I had my own little chuckle here in the room. Now, that was strategic from the Patriots to wait to make that pick till they knew everyone was back in their well, room. Well, if it's the um, Patriots, yeah. it has to be considered strategic, you know. Yeah, yeah. the guy who turns twenty four. In July, and again, played center in the FCS. Uh, Older than me. First round by the New England. What I will ask you, Lawrence, is you're a Baltimore Ravens partisan. Uh, it was I've, Adam and I, our producer Adam, were talking all night where it just seemed like the most Ravens thing ever. You know, Kyle Hamilton kind of began the draft process as like a dark horse to go top five, like the rare yeah. safety who go top five. Instead, he tumbles to the Ravens at 14. It just felt like the most Ravens thing ever. Like, all right, we'll take the guy being billed, you know, it was maybe like a once in a decade type safety talent. And are you excited about that pick? Oh, 100%. Just like you said, the Ravens somehow always end up with, with that good uh, quality player. Now, I mean, I feel like they obviously they wanted uh, Jordan Davis there. Uh, Eagles made sure that that didn't happen. Ravens are like, okay, cool. We'll just get another guy that should have went inside the top five or six players. We'll take him. Everybody else worried about his 40 time. Well, we're worried about uh, – we're excited, rather, what we saw on the film. So, sure, we'll take him and pair him with uh, Marcus Williams and help that awful defensive secondary that they had last season. So, um, w with Marcus Williams and now Kyle Hamilton, they can only go up on that side of the ball from here. Yeah, Lawrence, I thought that was a great move by them. One of the things that typically – uh, basically takes the wheels off the Ravens bus late in the season is injuries in their secondary. I mean, when they get those injuries, they get derailed. And I think A, just getting that depth player, B, he was a huge need. And like you mentioned, I mean, it's okay if he's not the fastest safety out there. They're going to figure out ways to use him in their defense. I thought it was a very smart pick for the Baltimore Ravens there. Sure, they were probably a little bit mad because like you said, the Eagles leapfrogged them and everybody knew, unfortunately, that the the uh, Baltimore Ravens were looking to go after Jordan Davis, but they made the best out of a difficult situation. And I think, you know, the fact that they still walk away with a guy who wouldn't have been there if this draft was held probably a month ago, because he would have been going in the top 10, in my opinion. But over the last month, he slipped and that allowed the Ravens to swoop in and uh, just stay there and get him. Lawrence, before you go for the fantasy audience, we saw seven skill players drafted in round one, six receivers, one quarterback, Kenny Pickett. Is there a fantasy 
landing spot that you especially like for one of these guys? Anything that stands out to you? Well, um, I, I know you didn't. Uh, I know you didn't love the uh, the Drake London to Atlanta, but look at it on the good side, man. You know, yeah. there's not they 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 don't they didn't have a receiver. Now they have one. So you like he's gonna be he he's their guy at the receiver position because we all know they got Kyle Pitts by default. Yeah. You know, he should lead that re- receiving group that's led by uh, who they got, Auden Tate. That Auden Tate. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I believe, still Samir on the Bird. roster. I mean, it's, uh, yeah, so it's a who's that, who. That's tough. And then you got Garrett, uh, Garrett Wilson on the Jets. Uh, you know, obviously, Elijah Moore had a lot of hype uh, at, with the way he performed last season. But um, Garrett Wilson's coming there to be – that true number one receiver, and you don't go that high in the draft without that expectation. Lawrence, we're letting you roll here in a second, but I got to ask, I mean, we're out on the East Coast. You're, you're out in Vegas. What, what are you doing now? It's only, what, like 9 o'clock here? It's 445 in Vegas right now. See, the, yeah. thing, the thing about that is I live in New Jersey, so though it is, it's this time my body is still on the same time as you guys. So, But, you know, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to try to live it up like a, a little yeah. bit. You know, I'm the guy at NBC that likes to party a little bit. So, you know, we're going to make do while we out here, man, and just enjoy it and then, you know, get back to work tomorrow on day two of the draft. Living the yeah. life. I like it. Yeah. For, for this East Coast dad, I'm going to be living vicariously through you, Lawrence. <laughs> uh, get it done. We'll, you can follow him on Twitter at Lord Don't Lose. Thanks, Lawrence, for stopping by. Have fun. All right. Take it easy. I was living right. it up earlier with my Honey Nut Cheerios before the show. <laughs> um, Let's bring in guest number two. It's Thor Nystrom. Thor, hello, sir. How are you? How was your night? How was your night? I mean, after, after all this waiting, did it live up to the hype for you? It sure did. Yeah. I mean, the, you know, I when I put out my last mock draft, I was like, I can't stand by any of these predictions except that this draft, the first the first round in the whole draft is going to be wild and crazy. There's going to be a ton of trades, going to be a ton of chaos. And it surpassed anything that anyone could have predicted in that vein, for sure. Thor, we know you were you had some strong thoughts about Derek Stingley Jr. So let's start there. And we, we are going to hit a bunch of fantasy guys later, a bunch of fantasy relevant skill players when when Pat Crane stops by, for example. But what were your thoughts on Stingley going to the Texans third, first of all? Um, I, I didn't think too highly of that pick, to be honest with you. If, if you're going to take the cornerback, I, I get it. Ahmad Sauce Gardner's there. Um, I, you know, I don't know what piece of quantifiable data that you can point to to suggest that Stingley's better. I certainly get betting on traits. I just don't know, again, with Sauce Gardner on the board at the exact same position, a guy who has dominated and barely allowed any receptions whatsoever, regardless of who he's faced over these last several years, a long outside guy. You know, I guess that's what you're looking for, a press guy. I, I don't know what you're what you're looking at to put Stingley, a guy that had one good season out of three in college and has a list Frank injury right now over Sauce Gardner. That's what I was going to ask you, Thor. Is it just really about the one year for Stingley? It was his freshman year, right, where he's just kind of like utterly dominant. But, I mean, that's two years ago now. And is that really what this could be based on, just projecting him from that superstar first year in the SEC and just kind of assuming the past two years, just kind of bad breaks, bad luck, and like, is that really what this pick kind of boiled down to, you think? I think so. Yeah. I mean, you know, you talk about, you know, I, I've, I've gone the other way with Stingley, but, I, you know, you do in terms of that, he had one of the most impressive true freshman cornerback seasons that you'll ever see. Um, so, I mean, th- that that just is. But, yeah, I mean, then the season after that, he got ripped up. You know, I mean, he was healthy that whole year, was involved in a bunch of coverage breakdowns, did not play very well. And then, of course, last year he ter- tears the foot ligament early in the season, misses the rest of it, and it turns out it's a Liz Frank injury. Um, foot injuries for, for players whose evaluations are based on athleticism and their movement and their footwork, those are a bit scary for sure. Thor, I'm going to ask you a two-part question here. Okay, first of all, I want you to talk to me about the Kansas City Chiefs. Obviously, they trade up and grab Trent McDuffie, who was slipping down the board, in my opinion, uh, went a little bit later than I was anticipating that he would go. So I thought that that was a great pick. And actually, they and the Bills – 
both trade up to grab a cornerback to fill a position of need. It's interesting. They're both in the AFC. Tons of great quarterbacks all over that conference. Both teams with strong quarterbacks and offenses themselves make exact mirror image moves where they trade up and grab a cornerback. We also know that they added George Karloftis, who was falling down in the first round. I want to know what you thought of the Chiefs draft in general. And then the second part of the question is, which team under the radar type team do you think improve themselves to give them the best chance for next upcoming season? You know, so, somebody obviously we could say the Jets and that's an easy one. I think the Eagles is an easy one, but more than you were expecting improve themselves and you have a better view on them heading into the 2022 season. Yeah, so as far as the Chiefs, I completely agree with you, Warren, especially after we saw the cornerbacks go three and four, you know, and that was a surprise, you know, because, you know, the, the Jets, there was some really plugged in beat reporters with the Jets that didn't think that they would go corner in the top 10. And they did. So you, you had two of the, the corners off the board in the top four. Well, then you thought that McDuffie was going to get pulled up the board. But then yep. all, all that weird stuff starts happening, all these <laughs> trades. And then, like you guys were mentioning before, the picks are going fast and furious. And all of a sudden you look up and, you know, it's you're, you're getting, you know, whatever it was, we're in the 20s. And it's like McDuffie's still on the board. I, I thought that was really smart for the Chiefs to swoop in there. I, I rank McDuffie number 10, you know, on overall on, on my board. Some teams probably – either knocked him way down. I don't think they pulled him off the board, but knocked him way down because of the, the arm length thing. Probably didn't meet their thresholds on the outside. I think that probably facilitated it. George Karloftis, it's a very similar thing. You know, like uh, some people were evoking AJ Epinesa when they talked about him as a, you know, a power uh, power edge that's sort of uh, versatile where you can bump him inside, but maybe that doesn't have any, you know, special sauce against, you know, especially as a pass rusher, you know, but I, I ranked him number 23 coming off a decorated career, very underrated athlete too. You know, I, I was surprised he didn't show more of that lead with that foot during the pre-draft testing. This was a kid who was on Bruce Feldman's freak list multiple times, you know, he was vaunted in the Purdue weight room. So he, he's a really good athlete. Um, they get him at 30. I, I ranked him number 23. I think just about everyone had Karloftis ranked higher than that. And certainly McDuffie as well. So they did great. And then, uh, Warren, as far as your question about someone died, uh, one of the teams that really improved for next year, the Baltimore Ravens. Yeah, you guys were talking about it before, but getting getting Kyle Hamilton at 14, what a steal. And then Linderbaum, what a perfect fit there. You know, I mean, of any non-zone blocking team in the NFL, because, you know, Linderbaum, we thought he was going to be going to a zone blocking team because, of you know, he, he's awesome, awesome movement skills and stuff like that. Um, but, you know, it, and he's a little bit undersized as well. But the, the Ravens were the one non-zone blocking team that you could see him going to. Obviously, Bradley Bozeman had left for the Panthers. And then the Ravens leaned so heavily towards the run and then extended plays on, on scrambling. Tyler Linderbaum not only coming off the best PFF graded season ever for a center, he's also coming off the best PFF graded run blocking season ever for a center. This was a kid who was a fabulous high school wrestler. He's sort of a prodigy in terms of grappling. You know, I, I, I posted the video a couple of times on my Twitter feed about him pinning uh, Trist, Tristan Wirfs in, in the Iowa heavyweight, uh, it, you know, in, in the heavyweight competition in high school and wrestling. Um, getting those two guys at positions in need fall into them. But like Pat said before, it's just their ethos. They just allow the, the NFL's mistakes. They make the mistakes in front of them. They filter guys down the board to them at positions in need. And then they swoop in and they take them. Thor, really good stuff. And I just wanted to make a quick observation on the Chiefs. We're like, they must have like supreme belief in McDuffie because you know, they took Marcus Peters in the first round. But during the Andy Reid era, you know, they're kind of, they've been kind of known for like, duct tape and gluing their secondary that's kind of the wrong way to put finding like gems in the secondary not investing like huge draft resources and at cornerback and so for them to not only take a first round corner but like to trade up for him really stuck out to me with the Chiefs and McDuffie thousand percent and and it makes sense that they would be attracted to him you know obviously it was a position of need but man talk about a college corner that barely gave up any receptions whatsoever over the last three years I mean, I, I called him McDuffie Island. He says they didn't really throw at him in the Pac-12. Washington, they, they started to stink here the last couple of years, but their pass defense was absolutely insane. You know, even so, McDuffie was a huge part of that.
Going back to Linderbaum, by the way, uh, first center drafted in the first round by Baltimore in franchise history, our research team points out. But Thor, I want to ask you about the guy drafted one spot after him, Jermaine Johnson. Can you explain what happened there? I mean, this was kind of the name, one of the names that was truly falling. Uh, any, any explanation? How surprised were you to see that happen? I was a little bit surprised, but I wasn't stunned. Uh, one thing I said before the draft was um, like a guy like Jordan Davis. I thought he had one of the smallest band of outcomes in the first round because I thought it was going to be between, you know, like nine and 14, like whatever. Like I, I didn't think you were going to get much outside of that. Um, whereas with Jermaine Johnson, I think Warren was mentioning this before. We had heard reports that he could go as high as four. There had also been reports that he could fall into the 20s. And, and the positive reports on him, they focused on the insane first step, uh, the, the fact that he had put up the awesome athletic composite and answered all those questions during the pre-draft process, and then the two-way game. You know, he, he's a stout kid. He sets the edge against the run. That's the stuff he was doing back at Georgia, right? Like, you know, I mean, the, you know, we talk about like Trayvon Walker and Devontae White, some of those guys where they didn't get the counting stats because they were asked to occupy play uh, assignment football. Jermaine Johnson learned how to do that at Georgia. The, the question we wanted to see when he went to Florida State was, could he diversify his pass rushing repertoire? And he absolutely did this past season. He an answered every question. So, so it focused on that, whereas the negative reports – would focus more on like personality type stuff that that's just stuff. we're just not in the room for that kind of stuff there's this idea that he had like an abrasive personality or whatever that could have led led to the fall um or teams just could have lost track of them with, with with all the smoke blowing around that craziness thor i could i could ask you like 20 different questions like i want to talk to you about Jahan dotson being drafted so much higher but we don't have time for all that the one question i do want to ask you though relies on a wide receiver a team needing wide receiver that didn't go wide receiver. And that was the Green Bay Packers. And, you know, th they were making excuses on the broadcast saying, well, there would have been a reach at this spot or it would have been a reach at that spot. And I'm thinking about the other teams that needed wide receivers that just packaged some picks and went up and got one. And we know that they could have done that. We thought all along that this might be a team that could package picks and move up if some of the wide receivers were going early. Lo and behold, a bunch of teams do that. The Packers don't. They go and draft a defensive tackle and a linebacker. I know that they needed help on the defensive front here, but what do you think about this team? What do you think, A, about those picks and B, about their prospects of getting an impact making wide receiver on day two tomorrow? Yeah, I, I didn't think a, a ton of their first round, to be honest with you. We, we knew that, you know, based on smoke late in the process, we knew that Quay Walker was going to be a first round pick. You know, like he I mean, he before, you know, like a couple weeks ago, he was what? Plus seven hundred or something, plus six hundred yeah, to be you've a first seen the round. Forty pick. and a half, uh, like three to four days ago, even. Yeah, exactly. And then all of a sudden, you look up and he's like minus one fifty, minus one seventy five to go in the first round. It's like whoa, you know. And and that movement just happened like over a twenty four hour period, like literally in the days leading up to the draft. So you knew when that kind of serious heavy hitting money was coming in that it, that there was legitimate information behind it. We knew that one team in the first round was obsessed with Quay Walker. We just didn't know which team it was. It turned out it was the Packers. I think it was a bit of a reach. I, I ranked him as I think I ranked him as a second round player, but the last last player. And I, I think I had him 64th on my board. So I, I think they reached there. Devontae White, you know, they picked him right around where I had him. But it is surprising still, like you mentioned, they, they need the wide receiver thing so bad. And they actually had the draft equity to, equity to go up and get one. Um, they sort of have this propensity to just sort of sit there and do their own thing. In this, in, especially on a night like tonight, you had to sort of seize the moment and realize what was going on. You, you need that wide receiver really bad. You saw these teams start moving up, moving up. Six out of the first 18 selections in this draft were wide receivers. At some point, if you're Brian Gudikins, you got to be like, man, we have all these picks in the first two days. Maybe we should go and package them up. And when he didn't, I, I assumed that they were going to take the kid from North Dakota State, Christian Watson, who appears to have come off the factory line, built as a Green Bay Packer wide receiver. 6'4", 210, runs in the four threes, a pop-the-top guy, boundary receiver on the outside who blocks his butt off. I mean, what team is that more perfect for? And that's absolutely what they need right now. They bypass him for a linebacker. Nicobe Dean's still on the board. Chad Moom is still on the board. Leo Chennault, the local kid, he's still on the board. There's a lot of linebackers still on the board. It's not a position that's taken really high. Sky Moore even, I, I would have taken there. So I'm a bit surprised by what they did. I haven't been a fan of Gudikins his past few drafts. I'm on record with that, and I didn't love what he did tonight either. And the, and the one thing I'll just add is that in years past, it was head scratching 
but you at least you had Devontae Adams on your roster. You lose Devontae Adams, you really need it this year, and you don't take advantage of that opportunity. I agree. Well, they're, Warren, pu- they're pushing. They're pushing their luck right now, right? I mean, we'll see what. what Warren, to your point, we'll see what they end up doing tomorrow. But it seems like they're pushing their luck with that for sure. You guys might have missed my tweet. They're not really that worried because Sammy Watkins is still the fourth youngest receiver <laughs> in the NFL. So, they're, they're I did fine. miss that. Yeah. In, in all of Warren's reaction videos, I think that was the most speechless we saw you this evening. Warren was when the Packers did not I take a wide receiver. <laughs> it's just hubris. It really is just hubris at this point. It's like yeah. it's like a power game they're playing. Like, well, you think we need to take a receiver, bud? <laughs> It's just well, every every year, that. like they're convincing Aaron Rodgers, and Aaron Rodgers is tapping on eggshells. What are we going to do? And then they get him back, and then they never do anything. And then it's like, well, he's probably pissed off. And then he drinks his whiskey and goes on with Pat McAfee. And then then they decide that he's going to play again. And then, but this year without Devontae Adams, it just felt different to me. And then you see these two first round picks that they don't normally have, and it just felt different to me. And the fact that they didn't take advantage of that is more than head scratching to me. Um, you you got it. Thor said the right phrase. Seize the opportunity. Seize that moment to do something to make something happen. They could have. They didn't. You know, we'll see what happens. And Thor. it's cra- it's crazy, Warren. The, the the Detroit Lions did right. Like the the, the Packers, they could have moved up to you know, let's just say number twelve. They and, and and you say, well, maybe the you know the Vikings wouldn't have traded down with their division rival. Well, they just did with the Lions, right? They moved from twelve to thirty two. And by the way. The Vikings didn't get a king king's ransom there by by the ritual trade chart. Their trade from twelve to thirty two with the Lions. The Vikings actually lost that in terms of trade points. So I I mean the Vikings were clearly sitting dead red on wanting to trade down. They weren't the only team that wanted to trade down. The Packers certainly would have had options to move up, but it seems like they just wanted to sit in their spots. It seems like Quay Walker that they had just you know sort of like Kevin Costner and draft day they'd written down. Quay Walker, you know, no matter what or whatever before the draft. And that was going to be one of the slots. And then they, they take his teammate later. But it's a head scratcher for me, for sure. Quay Walker needs the Irish pronunciation of Quay, which is, I believe, key, by the way. That would be a lot cooler. By the way, if you had 31 minutes as the overrunner for the first draft day film reference, <laughs> congratulations. Uh, Thor, before we let you go, Lawrence, we believe, is going to be going out in Vegas. Going to ask everyone this. What's the plan there for you now? Will you be able to sleep tonight? What, what's happening after this? Oh, man, not for several hours. No, I mean, it was just such a crazy night. Like, I'm still processing what went on. I I have the the sheets up now, the the websites where they have all the trades. There were so many trades. I couldn't keep track of them. I was trying to update my, you know, my spreadsheets with the pick slots. At a certain point, I just gave up. I was like, I'll just focus on the first round. At least I can take care of that. I'm going to have to go back now and figure out all the trades. I I am not tired at all. I I am so, I could run a marathon right now. (laughs) Go. Go do it. Get those get those running. <laughs> yeah, come on. What's stopping you? I'll at least get to the end of the block before I have to take a deep breath. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. Perfect. All right, Thor. Thanks for stopping by. Appreciate you, gentlemen. All right. All right. We have two more guests still to come. First, we're going to take a very quick break. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters. Both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Just a reminder, if you don't have the NBC Sports Predictor app powered by PointsBet, go download it now. The contests are free and easy to play, and you have a shot to win thousands by predicting what will happen in the NBA playoffs, Premier League, on the PGA Tour, and nascar circuit all right let's bring in contestant number three it's if i can find him there he is it's pat corain you know pat as warren was making thrilling wardrobe changes throughout the night you were steadfast in the videos you were posting (laughs) steadfast in the black t-shirt uh respect respect for that move yeah, I appreciate that. I mean, I was already sweating it when I saw Warren's just original outfit. I was like, oh, I'm already <laughs> way down. And then he was changing outfits, and I was like, okay, that's, this is no contest. I'll be doing the uh, the reaction videos tomorrow, uh, yeah. you know, so I have a chance. Yeah, Warren is running a layup line on you, basically. Yeah, it, 100%. It was a, it was a real John Morant, Morant moment for me. It was not John. <laughs> well, let's talk. We, there's a lot of places we could start, but, you know, 
We saw some very significant wide receiver trades, including A.J. Brown now headed to the Eagles, Corrine. So let's talk about that one and the corresponding move of Traylon Burks to the Titans. Like, How do you sort out the fallout of this when it comes to fantasy? Yeah, it's not good for A.J. Brown, I don't think. I mean, just one thing with A.J. Brown is like he's been so hyper-efficient. Uh, it's a run-heavy team in Tennessee, but they really run a lot of two wide receiver sets. Hayden Winks has shown, you know, you can you can have a lot more, uh, a lot higher score in yards per route run with two wide receiver sets than three wide receiver sets. That's kind of what he's moving to. I think the the Eagles are going to run a ton. They might be the most run heavy team in the league if they play like they did at the the second half of last season, which seems to be kind of the identity that they found around Jalen Hurts. But they're probably going to have three wide receivers on the field a fair amount because Devontae Smith can play, and you know I think they like uh, Quez Watkins a decent amount. So. It's, it's going to hurt A.J. Brown somewhat. At the same time, when you have a talent like A.J. Brown, I, I just want to bet on that. And, you know, I, I think it's potentially very bad news for uh, Devontae Smith because Dallas Goddard showed that he can really draw targets uh, in an uncommon way for a tight end. So it's a bit crowded overall. But in a crowded situation like this, I, I want to put my chips on the biggest talent. And I think A.J. Brown far and away the best talent in Philadelphia now. Crane, you took the words out of my mouth with Devontae Smith, where it's hard to spin it as good for A.J. Brown, but I don't think it's like ruinous for A.J. Brown. Maybe he can just stay a fit. Maybe he's just an efficient player because maybe when you're just a yak monster, you can kind of stay efficient when you're like a guy who can turn a slant and do a 75-yard touchdown. But when I saw this trade, I was like, this is just hard to think of worse news. I don't know if any player came on a draft night worse than Devontae Smith, basically. You know, the undersized, old for a sophomore, you can be 24 this season, guy who just didn't show enough. I mean, it was really tough offensive circumstances for Devontae Smith last year, but just, you know, kind of a a rookie season where nothing really went right for a guy who had a low margin for error, like draft profile, and now they're making this hyper-aggressive move to bring in someone who will clearly be the number one wide receiver. It just felt so, so disappointing for Devontae Smith. Someone I loved in Dynasty last year, and it just kind of already felt like the end of an era for Devontae Smith. It's tough because, like, if they had taken a, a first-round wide receiver, it wouldn't feel like this. You know, they took him in the early first round. But to make the commitment that they're going to make financially to A.J. Brown, and just frankly – how much better AJ Brown is than Devontae yeah, Smith. Yeah, that's the it's, that's the big problem is that is yeah. a lot better football than Devontae Smith, apparently. Pat, I want to ask you about the Washington Commanders, my friend. The Commanders. I want to talk to you about Jahan Dotson. <laughs> a real team that exists. It's a real team. They are in the NFL, not the USFL. We got to get used to that for this upcoming season. But you know, this is a team that I felt like they should have extended Terry McLaurin already. They're just costing themselves money. I don't know what they're doing in DC. Probably worried about other investigations and things that are going on. But seriously, focus on the player personnel side of things. Extend Terry McLaurin. You're only going to cost yourself more. But you go out and you draft Jahan Dotson. A, do you like his fit into this offense? And then how do you think he's going to work with Terry McLaurin there and then with the new quarterback, Carson Wentz? I don't love it. Uh, I'm not that high on Dotson to begin with. He's a four-year guy. He wasn't super productive, wasn't all that efficient, particularly as an underclassman, um, and he's small. So from a fantasy perspective, the sub-180-pound guys are, are never going to be my favorite guys, but he also does not have elite speed. He's fast. He runs in the 4.4s, four but he's not a sub-4.4 four four guy. And I ultimately, I think he's probably kind of like a, like an Eddie Royal type or maybe kind of what Darnell Mooney's sort of morphing into where he's playing somewhat in the slot and he's somewhat of a deep threat. He's kind of an undersized, you know, typical outside wide receiver who's going to move into the slot some. Uh, I think in this situation, he does not have a very strong chance of being able to supplant Terry McLaurin as the number one wide receiver despite the draft capital that, that he comes in with. The draft capital, though, does show you that, you know, he could be their number one wide receiver. Again, kind of like a Darnell Mooney type situation. Maybe McLaurin's gone and then they don't extend him and they don't get that figured out. And then he is sort of like a de facto number one wide receiver. But even for fantasy, I think it'll be kind of like we feel about Mooney now, where it's like something else has to happen here. Um, He's not like necessarily ever going to be a guy that we're super excited about. Do you think he can be better than Terry McLaurin? I mean, in that scenario? No, I don't. I think, I mean, what Terry McLaurin has done the last few years with the quarterback play that he's had is remarkable. 
Yeah. So I think he would have to hit like his 99th percentile outcome to do what McLaurin's done. He did it with two meme quarterbacks. Now he just gets like the most sad sack quarterback. The quarterback who doesn't target wide receivers, just real, real great situation. Yeah. First wide receiver to be drafted in the first round by Washington since the famous Josh Doxson in 2016. There's no way that way, was only 2016. Man. Wait, well, how, how is that also possible? <laughs> they draft Josh Doxson and then Jahan Dotson. Oh, wow. What's, what's oh, wow. They have a sign. Mind blowing. Well, no, just this the simulation keeps stuff. getting lazier and lazier. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> this is getting sloppy. But, Corrine, I, I have to, when you mention Eddie Royal, so when you say J- Jahan Dotson is going to be like Eddie Royal, you mean he's going to have an incredible week one, one year, and everyone's going to snap him up off waivers and yeah, probably and spend all their fab on him, and it's going to be a total waste. Didn't Eddie Royal have one of the all-time like incredible early week early season explosions? Am I remembering that correctly? He did, yeah. I think he scored like two touchdowns, and we were all like, why didn't we draft him? Yeah. He was, yeah. No, no Kevin Owens. We didn't draft him. He ended with like three touchdowns. Yeah. Crane, yeah. I wanted to ask about the Jets, where... You know, we were all aboard the Elijah Moore train last summer. Like we got Elijah Moore fever by the end of the season. He produced with so many different quarterbacks. Then they make the first receiver. Or they didn't. They weren't the first receiver off the board. They were the second receiver off the board with Garrett Wilson. But you know, we kind of knew all along they were going to aggressively address receiver. And like when they added Garrett Wilson, you know, I was like, man, that, that stinks for Elijah Moore in some ways. But then I kind of talked myself into, you know, he got like the classic outside guy in Corey Davis. You have like kind of like the classic inside menace and Elijah Moore. And then Garrett Wilson, who kind of like splits the difference in terms of both size and role between those two guys. Does that feel like the correct take to you? Like there might be enough to go around. They're all different enough. Or do you think this is going to be like a real drag on Elijah Moore this year? I think it has the potential to be a real drag because uh, I don't think there's enough to go around. I mean, the system is not going to be pass heavy. And, you know, they're trying to bring along Zach Wilson slowly and they kind of have to, given what he showed as a rookie. I think he could take a step forward, but they're not going to be like putting the, the pedal to the floor in terms of the pass attempts. And, you know, I, I understand why the Jets took him. I, I think he's a really good player and I, I think it's a good pick. But, you know, the talk pre-draft is like, oh, the Jets have this big need at wide receiver. From a fantasy perspective, I didn't see that need. I mean, they've got Corey Davis. Braxton Berrios totally I, say, I didn't mention slot. Braxton Berrios. <laughs> yeah, and Elijah Moore, you know, he only played uh, 28% of his snaps in the slot. So he's he's a guy who can play on the outside. One of the things that I was very impressed with about his rookie season is that he did play a lot on the outside, even though he's a smaller wide receiver. So this is a little bit – makes me nervous where it's like, does this mean Elijah Moore is like a dedicated slot receiver now or – is Garrett Wilson going to kick into the slot some? And and that, I think, is a better outcome where maybe they're moving guys around the formation and, you know, they can draw up some more interesting stuff because the defense doesn't really know where guys are going to line up on a given play. That I do like about it. But, like, Corey Davis isn't done. He was very he, – he had – his yards per out run last year was 1.74. Elijah Morris was 1.75. Like, they're right there. Like, there's no reason to think that Corey Davis can't do Corey Davis stuff, and that's really going to hurt. Because, you know, Elijah Moore can play and Garrett Wilson can play and there's just not that many pass attempts. Yeah, Corey Davis is like wide receiver Melvin Gordon in the fantasy community. They're like, come on, it's just Corey Davis. Like, uh, you know, these, <laughs> these young guys are going to be better than him. And then we like keep discounting the fact that, yeah, you know, he's actually kind of good. And uh, by the way, you, this, you know who this is ruinous for, Crane, right, in New York, is Kenny Yaboa who we talked about on the podcast oh, all the time last year. It's absolutely ruinous for Kenny Yaboa. Well, they break. do have like uh, all these tight ends now that are, that are not going to see any targets. So yeah, it's inter- yeah. interesting times. So Pat, I got one question for you about the New Orleans Saints. So this is a team. Some people thought they might go quarterback. I, I didn't think that, but some people did. And they went up to make sure that they got Olave. And I saw some mocks that had them going Olave and then Penning. They obviously had two picks in the first round. They were still able to get Penning with that second pick, but they had to move up to get Olave. So they did end up getting, I think, two players of need at positions of need. Uh, sorry, two positions of need, and they got players that they wanted there. Um, how do you think that Olave fits in with what that offense is looking to do now, uh, understanding that they aren't going to be working with a rookie quarterback there? I mean, I think potentially he fits in very well because he's he's not like a pure deep threat, but he can certainly be used in that capacity. And he's someone that can, you know, play outside and, you know, see a lot of targets in the deep and intermediate part of the field. And they got Michael Thomas coming back who can, you know, see targets in the shallow and intermediate part of the field. 
if they let Jameis Winston do a little bit more, I think it could be pretty exciting. But they were so run heavy last year, and they were, you know, intent on restricting Jameis Winston and not letting him turn into the mistake-prone Tampa Bay Jameis. But Winston was pretty efficient last year, and he didn't have Thomas, and he didn't obviously have Olave. So I'm excited if they're excited. But I do think that there's also a scenario where, again, we're looking at a run-heavy team with a guy in Thomas who's going to be able to draw targets. Olave doesn't really profile as like a true number one option. I've compared him to Emmanuel Sanders, which I think, you know, if he turns into Emmanuel Sanders, that's a pretty good outcome. But as a rookie, maybe not commanding a huge target share. Corinne, I also want to ask you about the guy who went one spot after Olave, Jameson Williams to the Lions. Obviously, he's coming off the ACL. But, you know, what's your long-term outlook for him in Detroit? And what does this mean for uh, fantasy god Amon Ra St. Brown? I mean, I was pretty bummed about this because, like, just Jared Goff deep threats are not my favorite thing. But, I mean, long term, we know it's not Jared Goff. So, and and actually, like, this this Lions offense is starting to become a little bit exciting. They, they've got Jamison Williams. Amon Ross St. Brown can – I'm not the biggest Amon Ross St. Brown guy, but he does what he does very well. You know, that, that underneath stuff, I think he's a valuable part of an offense – they obviously have DeAndre Swift. They can they can have some explosive plays in the run game. So if they get a quarterback, which maybe Jared Goff will help them do this year, then it can all of a sudden be really exciting. This year, I'm I'm not as into it. I mean, they also have DJ Shark, who, uh, you know, he's also recovering from an injury. But uh, if he's back to you know full speed, then there's also you know there's competition for those limited deep targets from Goff. I've also been hesitant in terms of fantasy about Jameson Williams because of the ACL tear, like Mm -hmm. uh, particularly in dynasty leagues where the market plays a big role where you know, the trade value is really important. You're in a position where people are now potentially going to be very disappointed if Jameson Williams does not have a strong rookie season, despite the fact that he's coming off a January ACL tear and despite that Jared Goff's his quarterback. So I think, you know, for dynasty leagues, you probably want to keep it on the cheaper side in your rookie drafts if you can with Jamison Williams, but ultimately strong, strong draft capital commitment. And there's going to be another quarterback there at some point. So it'll probably work out just fine for him. All right. Corrine, before we let you go, you know, this question's coming. Where's the after party slash what's the blueprint for you the rest of the evening here? Yeah. Well, uh, Tuesday night, the fire department, uh, knocked on my uh, apartment door and evacuated our building because there was a fire in the sewer, uh, which we have video of the, some some electrical fire literally coming out of the grate. Just uh, and then that f- happened to fill our uh, apartment up with smoke and carbon monoxide. Uh, <laughs> say, yeah, uh, uh, we were, your after party is a Con Ed, a Con Ed carbon monoxide cocktail. <laughs> Seems. Kind of that risky. is just cracking up. Even for Brooklyn, that seems like kind of a risky drink. Uh, yeah, it wasn't ideal. Uh, at two in the morning, we had to we had to evacuate, and evacuates us strong. We went and sat on our stoop, and they we opened the windows and and cleared it out. But my, I'm still catching up on sleep a little bit, so I'm probably uh, it's like I'm catching up on sleep, but like Thor, I'm also going to be up for another hour because my schedule's all off. But uh, I'll probably drink like one beer and then try to go to bed. Did you did you run into one one question for me on that? Did you run into? Uh, Michelangelo, Raphael, Donatello, anything like that while <laughs> fire was going on? They, they no, and frankly, I'm worried about them. No one's seen them. They, in a they while, unfortunately you know? passed out very <laughs> yeah. fast. No, I'm, I'm sorry if there are any kids listening, but uh, the Ninja Turtles are just sleeping, Timmy. Um, they <laughs> smell, smell like burnt pizza down there. So yeah. <laughs> uh, that's, that's what they like. By the way, we completely lied, Corrine. You're not leaving yet because we have one more very, very quick yeah. answer from you. And I want to answer from you, Pat, on this one quickly from Michael Fox, who's watching a live stream. Biggest loser for fantasy so far, Corrine, Pat, and Warren, if you want to jump in at the end of that, feel free as well. Quickly, guys, before we say bye to Corrine. Oh, man. Uh, The Steelers for drafting Kenny Pickett. (laughs) Come on. I mean, that team could have been so fun for fantasy, and now it's not going to be. I'm hoping it's not Elijah Moore. I do think of something I talked about earlier with Devontae Smith, where he just kind of almost feels like a non-entity to me, unless... Yeah, he's just a, he's a very savvy, a very smart player. And but it's hard, he's so old already, but he seems like the kind of player who has the football IQ to like make the necessary adjustments as a sophomore. It's just gonna be so much harder now that AJ Brown's and this you know, this very limited passing attack, this run first offense. It just felt so bad for Devontae Smith for me tonight. 
I got one. You may not think of him as a fantasy loser in general, but Aaron Rodgers, uh, you know, with the opportunities they had now without Devontae Adams, you just wonder kind of what his ceiling is, how healthy he might be as he gets older. But I mean, obviously the guy's a freak and a special talent, so I'm not going to write him off, but I think his situation could have been improved vastly and it wasn't. Crane, did you have one final thought there? Yeah, well, I, I wanted to just talk Traylon Burks quickly uh, before I jump because uh, you want to talk fantasy winners. I mean, the comp for him, like, he's a bit of a divisive prospect. And I think in the community that wasn't as high on Traylon Burks, you know, they're like, people comparing him to A.J. Brown is is a joke. Because, you know, he does get the A.J. Brown comparisons because big receiver, played out of the slot in college, really strong yards after catch producer, but a bit of a projection in terms of, like, playing traditional X wide receiver. And obviously, you know, there's only one A.J. Brown. I'm not saying it's me, A.J. Brown. But the Titans, like, literally replacing A.J. Brown with Traylon Burks is pretty exciting. And I think uh, he's going to have just a ton of targets immediately. I mean, he's, like, competing with Racy McMath for targets now. So he's going to get a bunch of targets. He's going to get play-action type of uh, design plays where, like, he's the clear read. Like, you know, they're going to have Tannehill rolling to his side of the field, and it's basically like Burks or throw it away. So – I'm pretty excited about him, and I imagine they'll also have some scheme stuff for him as well. But uh, target share, and decent quarterback play, and kind of a, a blueprint for what they want him to be in place, which is so important with a guy like Traylon Burks, who, you know, I agree is like kind of a difficult guy to project and, you know, in the wrong hands could end up being, you know, just kind of a failed gadget player type guy. But I think on the on the Titans, really high ceiling. All right, Karain, thanks. Good luck with the sewer, the carbon monoxide, the Ninja Turtles, whatever is going on there. Enjoy the rest of your evening. All right, one guest left, guys. He's been waiting patiently. He's been, I think, waving Commissioner Roger Goodell. Thanks for joining us. Commissioner Roger Goodell. Uh, Vaughn Dalzell from NBC Sports Edge Betting. Terrible towel on shoulder. Vaughn, how are things? You've been waiting so long. Um, What's going on? What's the word? We're waving the towel, but I'm not overly excited about the draft. Uh, oh, I see, I see you're taking the picket pick surprisingly well. Yeah, I mean, it's, I don't have I don't have a say so over what happens, and I can't control what happens. But I, I will say that we normally know what the Steelers are going to do every single year entering the draft. They make right. it a a well known process, whether it's position or a player in specific. And we knew it was going to be a quarterback this year. Uh, a lot of the vocalists have pointed towards Malik Willis, but. I mean, it makes a lot of sense. You know, Kenny Pickett's familiar with the city of Pittsburgh itself, familiar with Heinz Field and playing in that stadium. Uh, when you look at Pickett's numbers as a Pitt Panther, 54% of his passes came within 10 yards of line of scrimmage, a la Ben Roethlisberger. I mean, he's going to fit right in with what the Steelers like to do on offense because they didn't like to stretch the field at all, and this offensive line is still weak. So I expect day two, day three, those are things I'm going to figure it out for the Pittsburgh Steelers. It's going to be interesting moving on from Ben Roethlisberger era, uh, you know, an era of Mike Tomlin football that has never had a losing season. But, uh, you know, in a division with Joe Burrow, Deshaun Watson, Lamar Jackson, and now Kenny Pickett, you tell me how I should feel as a Steelers fan. Uh, I would have liked Malik Willis overall down the stretch, but Kenny Pickett Mm -hmm. probably more week one ready than Malik Willis is right now. Yeah, and they, they had their option. They decided to go with Pickett. They did hide that a little bit well because, like you said, usually they're pretty obvious, but... I certainly was making some bets there, and I dabbled a bit on Pittsburgh to draft a quarterback for a little while, and then I started to move to the long shots of just picking which quarterback, and I had a little bit of Pickett plus 400, and then I had a little bit of Willis at plus 350, and both of those are better. Even if you add them up, you know you're going to lose one, but it's still better than the odds you would get of Pittsburgh to take a quarterback, so you combine them and you you make some money there. But uh, just to ask you, you said you wanted Malik Willis. You would rather go in his direction if you went with a quarterback here. What if the Steelers didn't go quarterback here, what was the position that you were hoping they might address? Or did you want them to go quarterback all along? You're just hoping it was Malik Willis. Yeah, I mean, certainly hoping it was Malik Willis. But, uh, you know, like I said, the offensive line that we had last season was the worst offensive line of Ben Roethlisberger's career, you know, dating back to 0405, and that's hands down. Uh, so I definitely thought the offensive line is going to need addressed and would be the thing to be addressed if it wasn't him. Uh, but also there was guys like Quay Walker out there, a linebacker too, that could come in and make a difference because the Steelers had some issues with linebackers and injuries the past couple of years. So that's kind of direction I was hoping they would head if they didn't get Malik Willis. But Kenny Pickett, like I said, could be a day one starter over Mitchell Trubisky, who was a free agent signee. So it will be really interesting in Pittsburgh after losing Juju Smith-Schuster too. Um, you know, Deontay Johnson's 
very injury prone. So, uh, yeah, not a lot of fantasy value for anybody in Pittsburgh, in my opinion, outside of Najee Harris. By the way, research points out the latest into a draft that a quarterback was picked since 1997. Good old Jim Druckenmiller. And Vaughn, I know what you're... <laughs> Uh, Vaughn, I know you're maybe a little bummed about the picket pick, but l- let's give you a chance for a victory lap here. Any bets that came through for you tonight? I, I did land um, Drake London, first receiver drafted at plus 240. I gave that one on NBC Sports Boston, so I was pretty pumped about that. Uh, for the most part, though, I was playing little lunch money exactas. Um, I'm, I'm pretty curious about what markets we're going to get for some day two picks, specifically for guys like Malik Willis or a Sky Moore. Uh, from West, Western Michigan. I, I'm really in love with him. I had the chance to, uh, he actually grew up around my area. So I had the chance to meet him when he was in high school before he went to college and seeing him, you know, grow up through Western Michigan, what he's done this last year with 10 touchdowns, almost 100 receptions. I think he's a steal. And we still haven't seen any running backs or tight ends off the board either. So I'm curious to see a team like the Seattle Seahawks. Uh, what are they going to do with their 40 and 41 picks? Can they go get into Kobe Dean, maybe a Brees Hall? Uh, do they want to take a shot? Is Drew Locke the future? Could they go get Malik Willis? Probably not, but you know, there's an option there for that. So uh, I'm more interested in the day two betting than the day one betting right now. But I also live in Connecticut, and there's no uh, sports betting for the draft in Connecticut. So, which was a big bummer. I hit every one of my contact list up this these past couple of days. Yeah, Vaughn. You know, so like day two, it always the day two chatter always like swirls around, kind of like the name, especially the name skilled players who fall off the board on day one. And it's like all day on Friday, they're like, is this team, you know, going to trade up to 33 to get, you know, to make sure they get Malik Willis or to make sure they get Christian Watson, maybe even Sky Moore. Do, who do you think is this going to be the player on Friday? That, like that kind of chatter, like the, the, the 33 trade up chatter kind of revolves around. Yeah, I mean, I'm like I said, I think somebody, if they want Millie Close, they're going to go up and get them. But I think the Seahawks, if they have someone in mind, being 40 and 41 should be the move to go get that guy. Like, I really think their defense needs a lot of help. I know secondary was an issue. They went offensive lineman with the ninth overall pick. But I really like N'Kobe Dean. And in, in, in general, Georgia players, four of them have gone in the first round on defense already. Uh, that's a credit to one of the best defenses in college football history last year. Uh, and there's still more guys out there. But – we also got George Pickens as well. His over-under is 38 and a half. I expect him to be gone within the first six picks of this next round. And there's a lot of teams on the board that could take him. Uh, you know, Jaguars, Lions, Jets, Giants, Texans, uh, you know, even a Seahawks team that may not have Metcalf for very long. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm very interested in Kobe Dean and George Pickens overall. But, of course, of course, Malik Willis. Warren, I wanted to ask you, too. So the Packers, I mean, you hammered home very eloquently the point about it's kind of how absurd it was. They didn't get a wide receiver today on day one. And do you I, do you think 53 and 59, that's what they have on day two, their first two picks tomorrow. Is that enough to become like a player in like the 33 to 40 range? Or is that not enough draft draft capital capital for you? It's 1 a.m. here. Is that not enough <laughs> draft capital for you for them to make a move up and maybe like get the guy they've like been targeting all along or something? Um, I'd have to break out my calculator here real quick. So let me do that. And I'll, I'll put off the answer right now. You said they got 53 and what? They have 53 and 59 and then they have 92. That's all they have tomorrow. But when I saw that earlier, I was like, my gut reaction was 53 and 59 is not enough really to be a player. Like they're kind of just going to have to be at the mercy and hope whoever they want, maybe falls to like the mid forties. Cause that just doesn't seem like enough ammo to make the kind of move they would have to make if they really were like hoping to get someone early in day two. It is definitely not enough ammo. Um, that would probably get them into the, I'll have to keep working on this math here. My calculator. Sorry. Yeah, my calculator just, got a little error, my gut was that like that, that's not enough to be a player tomorrow. I think a guy like Sky Moore to Green Bay would be fantastic, Pat. I think that like already, I love the Packers draft. I know you guys were talking about and saying they didn't get a receiver. So it's head scratching, but. Like I said, grabbing two Georgia defenders, that's A-plus in my book if you're looking for a team that's trying to improve their defense overall. Uh, but Sky Moore would be a terrific addition for them, I think, picking them up. And we heard Aaron Rodgers say, you know, we're, we've been in the mix for these big receivers in these markets already. We graded six guys in the first round, but we didn't make a move on any of them. And then we missed out on the, both the Browns, A.J. Marquise. But San Francisco doesn't want to trade, so I think the Packers will settle for a guy in the next round or two. And I think if they can go up and get Sky Moore, 
Uh, we're talking about a top five draft right now out of all the teams because I really like what the Jets did, the Giants did. I like what the Eagles did a lot and the Packers so far. And, uh, you know, I'll give Lions their credit as well because uh, they do deserve something. Vaughn, before we say goodbye, where to next? And what's the over-under on when you fall asleep tonight? Uh, over-under is six and a half minutes because I get up <laughs> at 4 a.m. every day. So I'm oh, all wow, been up for 24 hours. Uh, baseball, basketball, and football today. But I went 3-0 and on my bets in NBA. So it was a good night, guys. I appreciate you for having Vaughn, me. Is anybody in your household, in your many, any of your family members, happy about the picket pick? Or is everybody in Pittsburgh kind of feel the same way? No, yeah, no, no. I, I got um, I got about seven to eight texts from friends and family, and they all said they were upset. All, only one person said we should have got an offensive lineman, and I told that dude to go to bed. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, everyone wanted Malik Willis, so we'll move on from it. You know, James Conner worked out for the couple years we had him, uh, but uh, yeah, we'll, we'll keep it homegrown over here. All right, Vaughn, thanks, uh, and I guess good night. Good night, Vaughn. Good night, guys. <laughs> See you later, man. See you in two hours. By the way, I lied. To your question, I was surprised, but the calculator does show that they could move up into the mid 30s with 52, 53, and 59. So um, it absolutely wouldn't be something that they couldn't do. It's something that they need to do. Uh, but like you said, I mean, if they're happy with just taking these picks and waiting for somebody to fall to them, then they'll just find wide receivers that are acceptable in that range. It's just like, why would they not do it? It's like a good overall roster still. Like, there's not like they have like fires to put out everywhere. They have one five alarm fire. Maybe well, there's try to nothing put it more. Out. There's nothing more frustrating than hearing the talking heads on TV simply suggesting the fact that, oh, well, what'd you want them to do? Reach for a wide receiver where they're picking at uh, 22 when there wasn't anyone on the board? No, we don't want you to reach for a wide receiver there. We wanted you to package the pick. So, yeah, it's just, uh, We'll see what happens. It's going to make it fun. And I, I actually agreed with, uh, with with Pat earlier. I think the Lions, <laughs> I like the Lions. It's fun to bet on the Lions. I mean, the Lions are in high-scoring games, and mm -hmm. they get down, and then they put up a lot of fantasy points probably late in these affairs, even with Jared Goff. I mean, this is a, this is an interesting team. It is, like, the Lions' offense down the stretch last year, like – they made like role players like Josh Reynolds kind of viable, you know, like Josh Reynolds mm -hmm. off the waiver wire went there and had some big games. Like they were kind of had something cooking a little bit on offense after Dan Campbell took over play calling. The, the lines were so fun down the stretch that I think I referred to Amon Ross St. Brown as a fantasy God earlier. I may have, may have overspoken <laughs> there a little bit, but I mean, there was some excitement. No hyperbole there at all, Matt. <laughs> none, 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 yeah. none, none. <laughs> Before we go guys, uh, quick two part question for each one of you. We'll go Pat, then Warren. The question is, what resonates most for you from round one? And what are you looking forward to most on Friday? What resonates most from round one? I, mean, I was Kyle Hamilton to the Ravens. I was like, man, this the Ravens are just going to keep getting away with this forever. Like that really, that was one to me like this. I, I was just happy for them too. And like, just not surprised. They're the ones like they always, it's like they let, they're the ultimate, let it come to them team. And I, Traylon Burks, I feel that is maybe the most fateful pick of round one. Cause he was a guy who got compared to A.J. Brown a lot in the pre-draft process. He probably wasn't planning on being, you know, like the Lou Gehrig, Wally Pip situation, <laughs> like with, with A.J. Brown, or now he's directly replacing uh, A.J. Brown. And I just hope there's not too much pressure on him, like that, you know, the, the Titans must clearly think there's some similarities to A.J. Brown, so maybe it's not all this, like, draftnik noise. And that was a really faithful pick. A pick that a landing spot that I feel like really ups the pressure on Traylon Burks, but I agree with Crane. Like I love Traylon Burks. Excited to see what he can do, and now excited to see what he can do. What is going to be an alpha role? There's there was already targets for the taking in Tennessee. Now even more. For me, I'll I'll just jump in. There's too many things to really mention as to like what is the overwhelming thought, the craziness, the trades, uh, the 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 trade for AJ Brown during the mm -hmm. draft. Um, I would say. The symmetry between what the Bills and the Chiefs both did with trading up for cornerbacks and how sim similar those teams are to begin with, coupled with the fact that, like, obviously the Jets in, in terms of how I think that they stole this first round. And then day two, I'm really interested to see where Malik Willis goes, right? Like, everybody's talking yeah. about, will we even get 
two and a half quarterbacks or one and a half quarterbacks, right? The draft prop that you could bet. And it was going under and under and under. We were betting on some of that as well. And then all of a sudden we only get one and it's Kenny Pickett. It's the team we think is going to draft one. And then nobody else drafts Malik Willis. Where is he actually going to go in the second round? And maybe how many quarterbacks are going to go in the second round? Um, So I think it's really going to be fun. Like where did some of these other guys go that were talked about as fringe Detroit Lions picks at number 32, right? The Matt Corral or the Desmond Ritter, how far are they going to drop in this second round? Yeah, Warren, yeah. you took the words out of my mouth there. Just like in a this low wattage quarterback class, I would just was going to bet on the players that had like a few special traits, even if they weren't a complete package. Malik Willis definitely has the most special traits, just kind of like overall high end athleticism. And then I just feel like Matt Corral, he's just like a smoother, faster player than Kenny. I would have much rather bet on Matt Corral than Kenny Pickett. And I'll be really fascinated to see where he goes on day two. Yeah, I started the night as a Falcons fan being thinking to myself, okay, if the Falcons take Malik Willis at eight, I'm going to be all right. Now I'm thinking half jokingly, the Falcons going to get Malik Willis at 43 in the second round. <laughs> <laughs> so wild, wild Life night. of a Falcons I, fan, just you know, always rationalizing, Matt. Um, it's all, well, there were also a lot all, of teams, like you just said, the Falcons who didn't have day one picks because all these teams had multiple day one pick. So we're going to see what some of these teams who didn't pick today uh, end up doing tomorrow. All right. Before we go, guys, anything you want to mention first, Pat, that you'd like people to check out? Just keep it locked. NBCSportsEdge.com. We have a blurb up on every pick. Just great analysis from our team, also from our college team. And check out all the day one recap of you know, a lot of stuff we talked about on this podcast. But it'll be a short shelf life because uh, round two <laughs> begins at 7 p.m. Eastern. But check out my day one recap. Why? I say you I say you stick around for day two and check out all of the promo videos that Pat and company are going to be cutting. And let's see if Pat ends up changing wardrobes a few times or if he's going to stick with, you know, this the singular T-shirt the whole way. Through. Yeah, he crane has got an edict. We, we need at least two outfits and it needs to be at least two colors. We need two <laughs> I colors. So. I hope so. And Pat, you mentioned short shelf life, but not for everyone. The day's just getting started for Warren here. So that's a good uh, point. Long, yeah. long day ahead here. <laughs> I got about two anything. more hours for sure. I unfortunately do too, but I, I was I, earlier said it was almost 1 a.m. here. That, that was a lie. It's only midnight. I, I, I somehow got the time wrong. That's, that, that's a good sign. It's one it here. It's well, I'm, yeah. on the East Coast. It's one. So I'm in the that's one confirmed. true time zone of the central time zone. folks. That's confirmed. Warren, you want anything you want people to check out before we go? Yeah, just check out the videos tomorrow on NBC Sports Edge. I was doing them today. We got other guys do, throwing them up there tomorrow. I hope everybody checks those out because they're going to be fun. They're going to be interesting. Um, and, you know, we're going to be tweeting through it. Well, ups and downs, <laughs> whatever happens, surprises, yeah. shocks, disappointments. Yeah. We're going to be tweeting through it tomorrow. <laughs> All right. That is going to do it for us. Don't forget to subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, wherever you listen. Take a minute to rate and review us as well. Much more to come, as we said, as the draft continues. So keep it tuned to a good football show and the NBC Sports Edge player news page powered by Roto World, as Pat mentioned. We will also clip a bunch of moments from tonight on our YouTube channel as well. So check that out. I want to say thanks to everyone for listening and watching live. And thank you to all of our guests, Lawrence, Thor, Karain, Vaughn, and Pat Warren. Guys, this was fun. Talk to you soon. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.